On this episode of the Macworld Podcast, it's all about your hot takes. You have thoughts on the latest happenings in the world of Apple? Let's hear what you have to say. It's all on this show. Stick around. Welcome to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Roman Loyola, here with Jason Cross. Good morning. And Michael Simon. Hello, sir. This episode is all about Macworld reader and listener hot takes. You have thoughts, and we're going to share and respond to what you wrote. All of the comments mentioned in the show can be seen in the show notes for this podcast on Macworld.com. And before we get started, as usual, i like to apologize ahead of time for butchering the commenter's handle and reader names. Uh, it's part of a running joke of the show now that I always seem to uh, mess up the names, so I apologize. Uh, so let's get started. Our first topic was actually based on an opinion piece that David Price wrote, uh, but he wrote an opinion piece saying that the iPhone SE no longer needs to be made by Apple. That idea didn't sit too well with a number of our readers. Johnny Long posted on X saying, I bought the SC for the pocketable size, could care less about the latest tech. Apple needs a mini or an SE. Uh, we had a lot of Facebook feedback. Linus Johansson said, have people grown bigger hands or just developed poor eyesight in the recent years? Simon Bison said, the iPhone SE does everything I need in a compact package. I'm using it right now, and I absolutely, definitely do not want to change. If I have no option, then I'll simply keep repairing this one. Jerry O'Neill said, the market will let Apple know what to do with the iPhone SE, not Macworld, and not the magic bean market analysts. And Giacomo Bruzzo said, of course it's needed. You fanboys are pathetic. How are we fanboys? I was going to ask, yeah, we're, what are we a fanboy of? <laughs> well, I, well uh, so, okay. So I only include that comment because I like saying Giacomo Bruzzo. <laughs> um, it Shock sounds like most of the SE fans are really fans of the smaller size, right? And yeah, but nobody bought the iPhone Mini. So yeah, that, like, they, like they did happened? the Mini for two years, and it wasn't a good seller. So I mean, it's not that nobody bought it, and but it, and we hear from every single one of them. Everybody who wants a small phone lets you know. But the fact of the matter is that the development costs of doing these things just doesn't economically make it worth a company like Apple, who isn't interested in making niche products, uh, addressing a niche market. And, and I think a lot of the people who are desperate for a smaller, smaller phone, with the tra trade-offs that that includes, like lesser battery life, because there's just not as much room for a battery – you're just not going to be satisfied with what what the market is saying there, which is just like they just don't sell well enough to to be worth the engineering and effort of Apple making this thing. And we've talked about that before because we expect the next SE. We thought the last SE would drop the iPhone 8's body. It should have just going on the off the pattern of what the SE has been in the past. But the next one is almost certain to be at least an iPhone XR's size and shape. Uh, and so, I mean, that's what you're going to get. 
Yeah, we're we're talking about with the current SE. I mean, it's 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 four hundred and twenty nine bucks. That's not like dirt cheap. That's a bit of money, mm-hmm. and it has one camera and an old one. It has Touch ID, which is inferior to Face ID. It has an LCD screen, which is inferior to OLED and all the new tech. Yes, it's smaller, but if you compare it to the six point one inch, uh, I guess it would be an iPhone XR or an iPhone eleven. It's it's not that much small. No. We're not talking about several inches here. It's a little bit smaller. No, it's not um, an iPhone mini. I, I think it gets right. some of the appearance of being smaller, the feel of being smaller because, because it's because still has a screen. And it, one is screen is smaller compared to the body. So you, that's be, that's a negative. You're you're losing screen space for the body you're carrying on. But it still has those round, completely rounded edges like the iPhone 8, and that gives you, when you hold it, it gives that uh, that sort of feeling, that appearance of, of being smaller, even though it's not. But that's about to go away. And I guess to David's point, like, if Apple's going to still sell iPhone 12s and 13s when the 15 is out, it, it almost just makes more sense to just adjust prices a bit and not have this iPhone SE. Because like you said, the, the, the size difference isn't going to be much, especially as they finally get rid of that iPhone 8 body, which they, they kind of have to do at some point. The iPhone SE is uh, 5.45 inches high and 2.65 inches wide. The iPhone XR, if Apple does nothing to it and just uses a body, that same body, which they most certainly won't. I'm sure they'll do something to it. But if they don't, so we're talking about 5.94 inches, which is a half an inch higher, Mm -hmm. and 2.98 inches wide, which is about uh, four tenths of an inch wider. Yeah. So almost a half inch in either direction is significant, though. But it is significant. significant. Hold it in your hands. Yeah. Right. What's an iPhone 12? 5.78, 5.78, so we're a little bit closer. Uh, 4.5 to 7.8, and 2.82, which is like so. We're bets about a quarter of an inch. In, yeah, in so that's direction. that's a little bit better. Um, and and they could use something like that now that we're already into the iPhone 15 generation. Going three years back on the body is is kind of following the the pattern, but just sell iPhone 12s. Like I, I feel like the problem with the iPhone SE is that it makes the wrong compromises. It it doesn't mm-hmm. improve anything but the processor and it improves the processor all the way up to the very latest generation. If we get an iPhone SE next year and it follows the pattern, it's going to have well, now they and they only started doing this after the last SE was reduced was introduced. There's there's two generations of A series processors in the latest iPhones. Like a 15 Pro has an A17 and a, and a, a regular 15 has an A16. So I imagine it would be the A16, but it, you'd have an A16 in a in an iPhone 10R body or something. And and the camera hardware and everything else, it'd have better processing because of that that processor. But I think that's the wrong trade-off. I think step back the processor a little. And step forward the other things like the sensors, the camera, the, the display, all that other kind of stuff. Because your overall experience of the phone is as much about all those other things. And iPhones have been like more than fast enough for so long. So David's piece was reacting to the rumors, which are saying that it's getting Face ID, it's getting uh, action button, it's getting USB-C and all these things. And it's like, okay, if the SE is going to get all that, 
the price probably goes up. So we saw this with the iPad, the 10th gen iPad. I don't see how it gets the action button. That seems- It doesn't make sense, but but all right, so let's forget the action button. Let's just say the other stuff. We we saw it with the with the 10th gen iPad. They gave it the the retina screen and the, the thinner body and all that stuff and increased the price to $450, which defeats the purpose of what the iPad, the 9th gen, which they still sell, is supposed to be because it's supposed to be an, an affordable iPad, not a slightly cheaper version of the iPad Air. Like there, there's a, there's no, so the iPad, iPhone SE has its place. If it gets all this stuff, say it increases the price to $499 or $549, there's just no reason for it. That's more of what David was writing in his piece by saying, like, if all these rumors are going to come to pass, it's just going to be, just sell the older iPhones and get rid of it. Now, I don't know what the answer is because they can't keep selling an iPhone 8 forever because it's going to eventually be ridiculous if it isn't already. So maybe it is an iPhone XR type device with an LCD screen, still has Face ID. I, I'm not, I don't know how that works out for a $429 or a $400 device. But based on the rumors, the next iPhone SE is just going to be superfluous. But I get that people really like it. And I get that it, I, I get that it, that it has its place. I understand the people's reactions to the to the article because you know right now it's significantly less than even the cheapest older iPhone. The cheapest it, it's five ninety nine to four twenty nine. That that's significant. If all of a sudden it's it's five forty nine, and then you can get an iPhone thirteen for five ninety nine, like what's the point? Our next topic uh, is about the. Apple Watch, specifically the original Apple Watch. It's been eight years since the original Apple Watch hit the market. To celebrate, quote-unquote celebrate, Apple declared it an obsolete product. That means that the company will no longer support it if it needs service, either hardware or software-wise. That also means that the solid gold model of the watch that sold for seventeen grand will no longer be uh, serviced by Apple. While it may be working now, sooner or later it will need to be fixed and you can't go to the Apple store with it. This is Apple's normal way of doing things once a product reaches seven years plus. Yeah. It's declared obsolete and you can't get it serviced. If it's five to seven years, it's vintage, meaning you may or may not be able to get it serviced before five years, it's fine. On X, Popstar60 posted, so now it'll be worth three times as much. On Facebook, a few more readers had thoughts about the gold watch becoming a collector's item. Uh, Nathaniel Davenport said, if a motherboard from the late 70s can sell for over 400000 k at auction, I think this will probably be okay. Miguel Herrera said, the melt value might be 10% of the purchase price. Solid gold watches are a huge gotcha and are typically purchased by men who are compensating for some form of inadequacy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I don't have one, if, if just, just for the record. <laughs> well, I think it's an interesting issue because watches have their practical form, but they're also seen as, I guess, jewelry or clothing accessories if, if, if it's you a, don't like I the mean, term a, a solid gold rolex if if you have a like a, like a rolex like that's like a heirloom that gets passed down from generation to generation and 
it's treasured and it's it, like that's not the case with this. It's it never it's never gonna those be. things never stop doing what they what they were first built what to a, do. What they, what they, right, right. I mean, we all pointed this out when they launched this thing. We said, you know, you know, you're spending eighteen grand on a watch with about. And some people did the math, and they're like, you know, it's about one and a half to two thousand dollars worth of gold melt weight in it. You know, the rest is a marketing upsell of you know fifteen grand worth of your brand and stuff. And and uh, and and you know, it's going to stop working within a decade, like hands down. Like it'll stop getting updates and stuff well well before that, and it will be a paperweight within a decade. If you bought one and you didn't know this was going to happen, it's on you. And I honestly think anybody who bought one is fine with it. I think most people who bought a $15,000 Apple Watch when it was gold, when it was a brand new thing, to them $15,000 is probably what $150 is to you and me. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And on, uh, on the other hand, it's we're still talking about the solid gold Apple Watch eight years later. So maybe it was just all a marketing ploy to get people to really oh, yeah. notice this watch. Like, let's we can't discount that. Apple didn't expect anyone to really buy it. Yeah. They knew they were going to make a hundred of them or whatever, thousand of them. I don't know. Uh, this this happens in other industries like, the, like TVs, uh, Samsung or LG or whoever will make some – well, it, it used to be like a hundred inch. Now that's not as oversized as it used to be, but they used to make these like gigantic things with like the absolute latest tech in them. They'd be eight, the first 8K TV and it would be with like some insane contrast ratio and they'd be huge and they would cost like price would be TBD and you could only really get the pricing from an installer and it was a $40,000 TV or, or sometimes more. They know they're only going to sell a few of them. They're they're for rich people's like mansions, <laughs> and people for, who don't look at the price. They just pay some installer to like to put some system in their house and pay them a couple hundred grand, and that's the end of it. And they're show off pieces. There's no there's no practical purpose for them to make something they're going to sell a few hundred of or a thousand of. They're there to show off the technology. They're there to be in showrooms and to be at trade shows and to boost the brand and stuff like that. So this was that that it was to make it this thing jewelry and and it worked. They they came out with that gold original Apple Watch and then they never did. They did edition models. They had ceramic. They had titanium before Apple Watch Ultra. They did do like variations, but they never had anything anywhere near that high end. It was like, I don't know, maybe $2,000 or $1,700. It wasn't anywhere near ten or 15000 During sort of the Apple Watch launch and growth and stuff, Apple's retail VP was from Burberry. And Arendt's? Arendt's? Right. I can't remember how to pronounce the name. I think that was part of it is that – when launching the Apple Watch, they I don't think Apple quite knew whether this was this going to be was was fashion accessorizing going to be an important part of the story of Apple Watch. And over time, I think they've kind of figured out like and you can see this through the OS releases and all this other stuff. It, it's not a fashion device, although style does matter. It's a health and fitness device. And that's really where they've kind of driven everything about it and that's where all the marketing and everything else is gone but i think that doing that sort of halo product of the solid gold version not solid gold the 18 karat gold version and everything 
was part of that was just planting that flag of this, making sure it could be a fashion accessory. They actually invited a bunch of fashion press to that first launch because it was positioned very much as a high-end piece of jewelry. And, you know, it, it, it still is in some respects. I mean, they have that that partnership with with Hermes and they have all these, you know, high-end leather bands and non-leather bands. And But it's very much, as Jason said, it's, it's they very much honed in on the technology aspect of it. The technology really being health and fitness. Yeah. Because you can't use it, as we can see from this article, uh, from this story. After five years, you got to get another one. It's just you just have to. It's it's slow, or it just might not work at all. But it's not it's it, it's it's not an investment. It's a piece of tech, just like an iPhone, that's ultimately disposable. Yeah, and because you wear it, because it's on the outside, invisible all the time, they do care about style more than they do with some other products. But it's style and uh, draw that line between style and fashion or whatever, if you want. They care about the style of an iPhone too. Yeah. <laughs> Not in the way they do with the watch with all the bands and the color. It's always got more colors and yada, you know, all this other kind of stuff. So, Our next topic is about a Digitimes report that was posted about a month ago. Digitimes said that Apple was working on what would essentially be a Chromebook competitor uh, after all of us here at Macworld stopped laughing. GDM probability of that idea. We looked online to see if readers and listeners had any thoughts. I got an email from a reader who told me about his experience as an IT manager at a school that tried to implement iPads. And the problem that he had was that no one wanted to use them. Everyone wanted to use the Chromebooks. So the iPads just kind of sat there and collected dust. And this person who wrote me, they were disappointed because the iPads were so much easier to administer than the Chromebooks. Linzatic on X posted, Apple won't make a MacBook as cheap as a Chromebook just to compete with it. This will degrade the MacBook lineup. You know, this rumor of Apple competing with Chromebooks comes up like every so often. Before Chromebooks, there were a bunch of cheap Windows laptops, and then there were all the uh, netbooks and stuff, you know. And the truth is that, like, yes, yeah, schools have budgets where they're looking at it and they're going, like, well, we need to buy 800 laptops. So, uh, $399 versus $499 makes an enormous difference. And let's not imagine that Apple makes a $499 laptop. So, they're, that's one of the reasons Chromebook got Chromebooks got this big in with schools is that they were able to undercut. And, and be cheaper. And to some administrator somewhere counting dollars and having to meet goals, they're like, oh, we have a laptop for every student, check. And it kind of doesn't matter as much what it is. Then they have to worry about administering it and updating it and all these other things. And they realize maybe they didn't save as much money as they thought they did. But at the coming out of the gate, that's things. So, and Apple's never going to get that cheap with it. But I do think there's some, there's a little bit of that where there's smoke, there's fire kind of thing. I think Apple may have another plan here, which is, may look something like the old iPad Air design, the one with the large bezels and stuff that, and the tapered and stuff that they kind of keep kicking around <laughs> um, with an M, with an M1 in it. Like maybe that disappears from the, consumer lineup and, and or school, you know, purchase with an EDU school address lineup. But it 
sticks around in direct bulk purchases from educational institutions and stuff, right? Like if you're a school and you need to buy 500, they're going to have a special deal. They're going to be making those for them and they're going to go out to schools and reach out to them and say, hey, you can get this and it's going to have much better management software and longer longevity and all this other stuff. And it's going to be more durable and all of that. And it's not going to cost $4.99 or something like that, but maybe it's $6.99 or $6.49 or, you know, something cheaper than they would ever put on a product on the website, but it's not available on the website. It's not available to everyone. It's only available to like large institutional purchases. That's something they've kind of toyed with before they had um, the, the, the eMac from about 10 years ago. Yes. Yeah. There was the, there was the eMate that was before Steve Jobs even came back. That was like a real small, had a, had a keyboard and everything. It was kind of like a like a PDA, like like a clamshell PDA. Yeah. But I understand Roman, like the person that that messaged you about the iPad and how kids didn't use it for schoolwork. I mean, I, I have a twelve year old son, and he's on his iPad all day, all day, until we tell him to stop. And as soon as he has to do schoolwork, he 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 grabs his Chromebook. He never, ever, ever, ever does work on his iPad. Never. That's interesting. Yeah, and I've asked him because he can access all the same stuff. It's all online, and he's like, "I just like the. I like the. He doesn't use the word form factor, but he likes the the experience of a computer, a laptop, when he's doing schoolwork. And I think that's true. That's certainly true of myself. Same here. Mm-hmm. I I I do enjoy the iPad a lot, but when I got to do work. Even if I have a magic keyboard, I'm still reaching for my MacBook. We haven't quite reached the point yet where a tablet is a is a work, a primary work device. Yeah. We've been saying this for how many years now? Some in-between hybrid something that uses like the, the cloud-based computing of a Chromebook and the form factor of an iPad with a magic keyboard and merges all that together into some thing. That's a little cheaper than a MacBook Air, a little more expensive than an iPad 10th gen, and does more than an iPad, less than a MacBook, perfect for schools, perfect for kids, perfect for kind of like email and things like that. I don't know if we're ever going to see it, but I'm sure Apple Yeah, kinda- it's easy to imagine that product, but I don't think Apple would ever, ever do the work to make a new OS that operates, like you said, the whole cloud thing, like a Chromebook. Um, that's like this mostly cloud-based stuff just for that, just to address that market. But I do think there's a very good chance that they will take an existing product or a previously existing product and instead of obsoleting it or just taking it off, instead of stopping selling it, just sell it cheaper just for education. And maybe it's got some management software and stuff. They already do all that. Like uh, the person who contacted you, Roman, said – the administration of the iPads was so much better, right? They already have a lot of educational stuff for this. Um, they do. They have, there's a whole app called, I think called Classroom that like teachers and administrators can, can easily see all of the connected devices, what the kids are doing, what apps they're using. And it's like a whole network. And that different we don't- students can log into the same iPad, which makes, which frustrates me to no end about the iPads <laughs> having one user account right right like one at a time i get but let me do like a mac and log out and log in somebody else like they have that in education and they don't have that they do consumer stuff and from what i've read it's it's fairly robust 
I, I don't think it's it's really kind of taken off in the way that they expected it to. Every now and again, you'll read an article like so-and-so school bought, you know, 2,000 iPads or whatever, but Chromebook is still the thing, particularly for primary education. Right, because the only thing Apple has that's anywhere in any school's budget outside of like the really expensive elite schools is uh, is an iPad. It's not what everybody wants to work on, and that's a key problem that's not going to be addressed by a snap-on keyboard. Maybe selling an old MacBook uh, Air or something is a, a good way to not redesign new hardware or software, but bring the price down to where more schools can afford it. Still not all. So I would I would be not at all surprised if, you know, in a year or something like that, schools would be able to buy a MacBook Air that they don't sell anymore to anyone else. Just to give the listener a little more uh background on this. There have been a couple of studies that have shown that while Chromebooks offer a cheaper upfront, you can get a really cheap Chromebook. 200, 300 bucks, yeah. So that makes it very appealing to schools. The problem is they're not very durable at all. After a couple of years, they have to be repaired. I think I read somewhere that, that there's one repair, repair contractor like in New York and all he does is repair Chromebooks for schools. And he has thousands of them that he has to fix every year. You know, some fixed are more than major than others, but that's basically all he does. When the school year starts, he makes his money by repairing Chromebooks for schools. And schools, you know, they don't want to have to dish out that money because it's une- an unexpected expense. So then it, you know, that weighs on their budget. And, you know, everyone knows school budgets are tight. So that durability. I mean, it kind of cuts both ways. It's both if you drop it, there's a good chance it's going to break. Or if you have it for like three years, it's going to be slow and kind of unusable and start falling apart and the screen doesn't work so well. And, you know, the trackpad maybe is stuttery. The hinge is busted, you know. So if you look at it, the, the larger picture, you're better off investing in, in, a, in an Apple device. But, you know, schools don't have that. They have a budget and that's it. Like they can't. They can't sell longevity. So they buy Chromebooks and then in a couple of years, they're buying more because, you know, they're broken. Well, that does it for this episode of the Macworld Podcast, episode 859. Thanks to Jason Cross. Thank you. Thanks to Michael Simon. Thank you, sir. And thanks to you, the audience. Thank you for tuning in. And thanks for your comments. You can subscribe to the Macworld Podcast in the podcast app on Spotify, or through any other podcast app. If you have any comments or questions, send us an email at podcast at macworld.com or contact us through Twitter, that's at macworld, or on threads, that's at macworld underscore HQ, or on the Macworld Facebook page. Join us in the next episode of the Macworld Podcast as we talk about the latest in the world of Apple. See you next time.